You're listening to the Historical Bookworm Show. For lovers of history and readers of inspirational fiction, join your hosts, Kylie and Darcy, for author interviews, a pinch of the past, and special bookworm reviews. Hi, this is Kylie Woodley. And Darcy Fournier. Our guest today has been writing since middle school, eventually earning a master's degree in journalism at the Indiana University. However, it took only a few short months of covering the local news for her to realize that writing fiction is much better for the soul and definitely way more fun. A born and bred Hoosier, she was plucked from the heartland after being swept off her feet by an Air Force pilot and has spent the past decade traveling the world and every few years attempting to make her old curtains fit in the windows of a new home. She currently resides in New Mexico with her husband, two children, one grumpy old dachshund, and her newest obsession, a guinea pig named Peanut Buttercup. Jennifer L. Wright, welcome to the Historical Bookworm Show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we are so excited to have you for your first time on the show. I love that you have a guinea pig named Peanut Buttercup. I had a <laughs> guinea pig when I was a kid, and I just, I loved her. So, Well, and I will say we we actually just added a second one, and her name is Snickerdoodle. So we're <laughs> keeping Cute. with the sugary sweets theme, apparently. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You know, a little hint to the guinea pigs that they need to be sweet and all right. that good stuff, right? Yes. That's so fun. Got her a little pal. Well, can you tell us about something fun that you did this summer? This past summer, oh, it was such a blessing. For the first time since the pandemic started, my family and I were actually able to travel back to the Midwest to visit grandparents and cousins and uncles and aunts, people that we had not seen in over two years. So it was so wonderful to go back and spend, we spent over two weeks, just my husband's from Illinois and I'm from Indiana. So we spent one week in Illinois and one week in Indiana, just traveling around and visiting everyone that we hadn't been able to see for two years. Oh, that's wonderful. Just it's when people have families, two years makes a big difference in their lives, you know? For sure. Yes, for sure. Yeah, it really does, especially when you have kids and those kids are growing. And yeah, I'm glad you're able to visit them. It's so good to reconnect after uh, a difficult couple of years. (laughs) Very true. Very true. So you are really a a new to me author. Your publicist contacted us with Come Down Somewhere, your latest novel. And I started reading the back cover copy and poking around social media just to see what you're up to. And I'm really excited to to meet you. (laughs) And I'm just wondering what led you to write in this genre, you have a you have a degree in, in journalism, you love fiction, but why historical fiction? Historical fiction has always just been my interest. I've always been a history nerd. I love exploring historical sites. Again, we mentioned in the bio, my husband's in the Air Force, so we've been very fortunate to be able to travel around and live in all of these places. And the number one thing when we decide on where we want to go on a trip is what's the history of the area because we want to see the sites. So when the Air Force moved my family to southern New Mexico, we thought, okay, well, there's not really a lot (laughs) here in southern New Mexico, but we were so wrong. The Trinity test actually happened less than 100 miles from where I live right now. And so when we moved here and I found out about that, it just got my little nerd heart going and I thought, 
this is why I'm here. I'm supposed to tell this story. And I did all the research and I just felt like I was in this place because I needed to tell this story, a story that hasn't been told before. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about what the Trinity test is and why it's significant? So the Trinity test was the world's first atomic weapons test. It happened July 16th, 1945. And again, it's happened here in Southern New Mexico. They actually put the bomb together and did all the research for it up in Los Alamos, which is in Northern New Mexico. But when they were searching for a spot to test it, they decided to choose this part of New Mexico because, first of all, it was close enough to Los Alamos that they could easily transport the weapon. But they also described the area as uninhabited, which unfortunately wasn't exactly true. Yes, compared to many other parts of the countries, it was, but there were several villages. There were lots of ranches around the area. So when they keep in mind that this was new science back in 1945, so when they tested the weapon, they didn't quite understand the effects of nuclear fallout. And unfortunately, that fallout settled on this area where there were, in fact, people living. And it wasn't until years and years later that they started to notice that cancer rates were going up and there were just unexplained clusters of certain types of cancer. And turns out, it was the radiation fallout because this area was not, in fact, uninhabited at the time. Oh, wow. I feel like the videos that you see of the mushroom cloud when they're testing it are like done on an island out in the middle of the sea or something like that. Yes, they did after. Well, and that was the whole thing. They chose this area for that initial test after they tested the weapon here. That was it was only a few weeks later that they dropped the bombs in Japan, which did, in fact, yes, end up ending the war. But it was less than five days after the Trinity test that a memo went out to the scientists at Los Alamos that said, hey, we can't do any more testing around here. It's too inhabited. There are too many people. So that's when they ended up moving the testing. They did a lot of it in the Pacific, and then they did a lot of it in Nevada as well. This was the only test that they performed here in southern New Mexico, simply because there were too many people. Unfortunately, they didn't find that out until they'd already tested. But it's an interesting piece of history because, they, like you say, they didn't know what they were working with. They knew it was going to be powerful, but they really had no clue the extent and definitely the long-term effect of it. They'd, they'd never had it to test before. Yeah. Yeah. We could criticize them for being careless, but at the same time, you're always going to make some mistakes when you're researching something brand new. Exactly, exactly. And that was a delicate balance that I tried when I was writing the book, because I don't think that the scientists were necessarily evil or malicious. They simply didn't know. They didn't know that these were going to be the long term effects, because like I said earlier, the science was just so new. So I didn't want to paint the military men or the scientists as villains, because they weren't. I genuinely do not believe that they were villains. But it's not a black and white thing. It's a story made up of all shades of gray. And unfortunately, people got hurt because of it. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Life is always a little bit gray. And that's the fun of writing novels and also the difficulty. We get to dive into some pretty sticky stuff sometimes. Mm -hmm. As a writer, have you ever had a comical or memorable interaction with a reader? Yes, I was so blessed to be able or to have been invited to attend Fiction Reader Summit in Grand Rapids at Baker Bookhouse in May. And at this time, I, I was a debut author. I only had one novel out, If It Rains. So for 
for them to take the chance and invite someone like me who's so new, I was just blown away. I was so excited to be able to attend. But I honestly didn't think that anyone would even know who I was because I did only have one book out and I'm Tosca Lee was there and Bethany Turner was there and Lynn Austin, you know, these big name people. So I'm thinking, who am I to be sitting up here with these people? So I really wasn't expecting too much of it. But I tell you what, the readers that attended that had not only read the book, but they had opinions (laughs) about the book. And I was so blown away and I won't do any spoilers in case some people haven't read it, but they had some very passionate opinions, especially about the ending of the book, and they were sure to let me know about it. So <laughs> it was a lot of fun just to, well, why did you write it this way? And I'm like, oh my goodness, I just was not expecting it. It was all very pleasant. There was nobody that was being mean, yeah. but I just, oh, it yeah. was something that I was not expecting because I, like I said, I was so new that I didn't know if anybody had even read the book. So it was really fun to engage and interact with these readers who feel very passionate about their books. That would be, wow, (laughs) I couldn't imagine. But I'm really glad it's good to know that this book stands out and that it was so memorable in these readers' minds. Like, I hope that is one of the things that will help to take you to a great success. And now I'm really curious about the end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will just say people had some very strong opinions about it. But like I said, it it was very fun to chat with them and explain, well, this is why I ended it the way that that I did. And I think at the end, they understood understood it, but they still didn't like it. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes life is like that. Right. So, <laughs> you know. Yes. No, oh, fine. Well, I'm glad that you're joining us for this interview and that we just get to hear about this book. So speaking of interviews, is there anything especially interesting that you haven't covered in other interviews that you could share with us? Or perhaps there's something God has laid on your heart that you would like to share with your readers? I think coming, as I said, from just being a debut novel, Come Down Somewhere is only my second book. I just, from the bottom of my heart, want to say thank you to those people who have been reading my books, who have been engaged and passionate and having discussions about it. This is something I've wanted to do my entire life. And I know as a reader myself, the amount of investment that you put into any book that you pick up, whether it's your time or your money or both, it's a big deal to take a chance on a book, especially if it's a brand new author. And I have just been so humbled and so blessed by the response of my readers, those who have read If It Rains, those who are excited about Come Down Somewhere. And I just want to take this opportunity just from the bottom of my heart to say thank you to each and every person who has picked up my books. Oh, that's cool. I love trying new authors, but I can also be like selective, like definitely reading the blurbs and stuff like that. But it's, there are so many great stories out there. And as my favorite authors continue to release books, of course, I'm reading those. But I know as a reader, I I love discovering new authors to follow. My to be read pile is not that keen on it, but I sure am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and dive into talking about your latest release, Come Down Somewhere, although we stumbled into it earlier. Let's go ahead and read the blurb and get into it. 16-year-old Olive Alexander has lived on a ranch in the Jornada del Muerto region of southern New Mexico her entire life. But when World War II begins, the government seizes her family's land for the construction of a new top-secret army post. While her mother remains behind, Olive is forced to live in nearby Alamogordo with her grandmother and find a place in a new school. When Joe Hawthorne crosses her path, Olive sees a chance for friendship until she learns that Joe's father is the army sergeant who now occupies her beloved ranch. 
Already angry about her new reality, Olive pushes Joe away, but as she struggles to make sense of her grandmother's lapses into the past and increasingly unsettling hints about what's happening at the ranch, she slowly warms to Joe's winsome faith and steady attempts at friendship, until one devastating day when the sky explodes around them and their lives are torn apart. Seven years later, Joe returns to Alamogordo, still angry and wounded by the betrayals of that fateful day. Determined to put the past behind her once and for all, Joe hunts for answers and begins to realize the truth may be far more complicated than she believed, leading her on a desperate search to find her friend before it's too late. Whoa, that sounds like a really good book. So similar to your last book, your protagonist, Olive, is a spunky young woman. But what draws you to this type of character? I think for me, it's because it's the type of person that I want to be. I love white writing strong women who aren't afraid to be who they are. Keep in mind, they're not perfect. There's lots of growth opportunities within the novel, which obviously that's the whole point of a story is to witness character growth. But I just love writing women that I would like to be that I aspire to be. I think maybe it's a little bit of living vicariously through them because <laughs> maybe I'm not as bold as I wish that I would be in real life. So I think that's what draws me to write those types of characters. Yes, I think I tend to be that way with my characters. It's like I'm writing who I want to be, not who I am. That's not yes. a bad thing. It gives us someone to look up to, right? Right. <laughs> So what sort of research did you do in preparation for this novel? We've talked about some of it, but it's this is a little explored area, at least in fiction, in my experience. I bet you ran into some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, the really cool thing about this particular novel was that I live so close to where the Trinity site happened. It is a closed off area. They only open it twice a year, but I was fortunate enough last yes, last October, that I was able to go and visit the Trinity site. I was able to go to Ground Zero and see where it all happened. I was able to travel through the area where I set the Alexander Ranch. I live in Alamogordo, which plays a huge role in the setting of the story. So for the first time in anything that I've ever written, I was actually able to physically be in the location where the story happened, which I think really lent to authenticity, or at least I hope it leads lends some authenticity authenticity to the story, because I was able to see firsthand these places that I'm trying to write about. Oh, wow. That would, that's kind of a writer's dream to be able to just research everything and just really immerse in the town's culture and the weather and just everything about it. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. You're definitely in the story world, so to speak. (laughs) And being in New Mexico during World War II, I don't think I've ever really looked at it. Did the war affect that area of the country differently than any other area with the desert around it? As you, as I mentioned earlier, this was because of the weather, it was a prime location to do the testing of the weapon. And it was a prime area to graduate new pilots because we have so many days of sunshine every year that Holloman Air Force Base at the time of World War II was known as Alamogordo Airfield, but it's currently Holloman Air Force Base. They could just crank out pilots left and right because it was very easy to get them trained. So you really don't think of this area when you think of World War II, but it actually did have a substantial effect on the conflict. Oh, wow. Yeah. Planes overhead all the time because it was just great training weather. Oh, yeah. You're right. I didn't know that. Yeah. So are there any other historical moments you are interested in exploring through fiction? 
You know, I took a stab at World War II fiction here. I was very nervous to do that because there are so there's so much World War II fiction out there and it's so well done that I was a little nervous to stick my toe into these waters. And I'm glad that I wrote it. I love the book, but I do find myself tending to gravitate more towards the 1920s and the 1930s. I love the Great Depression. I love the Roaring Twenties. And actually for my next two books, I've found myself right back in those two time periods. That seems to be what I'm most interested in and what I'm most passionate about writing. Oh, the Roaring Twenties. Definitely. I don't write in that era, but I love reading that era, 20s and 30s. I read one and it was set in old Hollywood and it was just so well done. I think it was by Stephanie Lamson. Yes. In a far off land. Yes. Yes. I loved that book. It was wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) That was a great book. So we were just about to ask about what's up next as far as writing. Could you tell us a little bit more about what's coming up? Do you have any titles? Do you have any dates? Have you seen any cover? Uh, Yes, I actually just got the cover this past week, and I'm so excited about it. My next novel is titled The Girl from the Papers. And it is scheduled for release in summer of 2023. It is loosely based on the story of Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, neat. Oh, how fun. (laughs) I'm really excited about this one. It was a lot of fun to write. Again, I love the 20s and I love the 30s. So digging into that world, the research was just fascinating. And I just, I Mm -hmm. had a blast writing this book. Those two decades are like so, so unique, both of them. It's just... They're just their own little world, and which I suppose you could argue that for every decade, but I feel like the 20s and 30s really have their own aura about them. Well, and I feel like they're often overlooked, too, because they were sandwiched between two wars. We see a lot of World War One, we see a lot of World War Two, and you just don't see as much fiction written about the 20s and 30s, and there's just so much richness within both of them to discover, and I really enjoy writing about those time periods. Oh, that's cool. We will look forward to your next novel coming out. Well, thank you. So for our listeners, Jennifer has been so kind to offer a giveaway, a copy of Come Down Somewhere. And all you have to do to enter is you can go to our website, historicalbookworm.com, and click on the giveaway tab. And then we also will have the link for that giveaway at the bottom of the show notes for this episode. And Jennifer, how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, Well, I am on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram at JenWright82. And I'm sometimes but very rarely on Twitter with the same handle. And I also blog occasionally at www.JenWrightWrites.com. It's a play on my last name. So I tend to blog about once a week on there, just about whatever strikes my fancy. Awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. It has just been a delight chatting with you and learning about this book as well as your up and coming books. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Now for a pinch of the past. In today's Pinch of the Past, we will be looking at the 1900s Paris Exposition, which was a world fair held in Paris, France. Now, the purpose of this event was to celebrate the achievements of the past century and also look forward to the 20th century. France held an incredible exposition in 1889. Now, this was when the Eiffel Tower was built. And... 
they just basked in the glory of this event for the next three years. However, in June of 1892, Germany announced that they were planning an international exposition, which would be scheduled in the year of 1900 in honor of the new century. France was appalled that any country, let alone their rival, Germany, would take the star of the show in 1900. So they planned their own and without apology, invited 56 nations including Germany. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> you gotta love the, the politics in Europe just go back so far. They literally go back a thousand years. So that's funny. Yeah. How snazzy of them. <laughs> So the event spanned throughout the first Parisian summer of the 20th century. The entrance to the grounds themselves was a 770 square foot perforated iron dome called the Porte Monumentale, an average of 60,000 people per hour enter through this dome, which was also capable of sheltering 2,000 people in the event of rain. 60,000 people per hour? I know. That's, I was blown away. I probably put more photos into the blog post for this pinch than any other. They're just so mind-blowing and beautiful. So the exposition was located on the banks of the Seine River and covered 280 acres. It was open from April 14th to November 12th and was visited by more than 50 million people. Several international congresses and events were held at the exposition, including the Summer Olympics. Wow! How did I not know that the Summer Olympics were held at the World Fair in Paris? That is so cool. Oh, well, there's something behind that. So this wasn't only the second modern Olympics Games ever held, but it was the first to be held outside of Greece. Oddly enough, the term Olympic Games was replaced by international physical exercises and sports competition in the official report of the exposition. When newspapers reported the competitions, they used terms like international championship, international games, parish championship, world championship, and the Grand Prix of Paris exposition. In fact, the International Olympics Committee had no representation or control over the events. So records came from a variety of sources listing different events which obviously added to the further confusion of what was the Paris 1900s Olympics. So there was a lot of unofficial things going on. It's just so interesting. The data shows that there were... 997 competitors who took part in 19 different sports. These included women competitors for the first time, but some of the events were a first and only to be held in what is considered Olympic history. These one-time events included a 660-foot swimming obstacle race, underwater swimming, motorcycle and automobile racing, angling, ballooning, croquet, and cricket. Oh, wow. Croquet and ballooning? <laughs> yeah. 
I, I see why those didn't quite make it because, I mean, as fun as croquet is and as entertaining as ballooning is, I could see why they didn't exactly make it as a as an athletic sport. Okay, and the so, motorcycle races, now that's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, yeah. In another race, the winner was a pigeon who flew from Paris to Lyon in four and a half hours, which according to Google Maps now is about 28 miles. Other interesting competitions included the balloon competition race, but one of the winners of the balloon race actually traveled all the way from Paris to Russia, a total of 1,196 miles. And he did this in 35 hours and 45 minutes. This guy knew his wind. <laughs> he must have. Or like the weather was really good. I don't know. But I looked at that on the map too. And I was like, whoa. In a balloon in 1900? Whoa. Oh, I know. So <laughs> as far as athletes, I really thought this was cool. So of the competing athletes, 720 of the 997 were provided by France. So needless to say, they won most of the gold, silver, and bronze medal placings. However, the country to come in second for largest number of wins was that of the United States with just 75 of the 997 competing athletes. Whoa, but they took that many silver medals. Wow. Yeah. I was like, well, good for them. Exactly. <laughs> so I hope that you have enjoyed this pinch of the past. I uploaded a plethora of photos from the 1900s Paris Exposition onto our website, historicalbookworm.com. These include Helen Pivost, a French woman's tennis champion in 1900s and the first game where any woman completed. Then also the beginning of the balloon event and a combined Swedish-Danish team defeating France in the Olympic tug of war. <laughs> I love it. Oh, they knew how to have fun back then. They did. So in the next part of this Paris Exposition series, we will be looking at the different kinds of exhibits they had there. And that pinch of the past will be part of episode 42, a book chat about Beneath the Bending Skies with Jane Kirkpatrick and a book review of The Red Canary by Rachel Scott McDaniel. Time for our bookworm review. The Dress Shop on King Street by Ashley Clark. Harper Dupree has pinned all her hopes on a future in fashion design, but when it comes crashing down around her, she returns home to Fairhope, Alabama, and to Millie, the woman who first taught her how to sew. As Harper rethinks her own future, long-hidden secrets about Millie's past are brought to light. In 1946, Millie Middleton, the daughter of an Italian man and a black woman, boarded a train and left Charleston to keep half of her heritage hidden. She carried with her two heirloom buttons and the dream of owning a dress store. She never expected to meet a charming train jumper who changed her life forever and led her yet again to a heartbreaking choice about which heritage would define her future. Now together, Harper and Millie return to Charleston to find the man who may hold the answers they seek and a chance at the dress shop they've both dreamed of but it's not until all appears lost that they see the unexpected ways to mend what frayed between the seams. Hello, dearies. This is Angela Bell, bringing you today's bookworm review. 
You can connect with me at my website, www.authorangelabell.com. Sometimes a book finds you at a pivotal moment when it seems as though the story was written just for you, like a love note from God tucked within the pages. For me, The Dress Shop on King Street was one such book. With Southern charm and a whole lot of heart, Ashley Clark has created a story with the skilled craftsmanship, exquisite detail, and unique beauty of a couture gown from days gone by. In hat-wearing Millie and vintage-loving Harper, I found kindred spirits, and in their story, I found a gleaming thread of hope to mend the fabric of a long-cherished dream. If you're a fan of Southern fiction, multi-generational stories, and intricately woven dual-time narratives, The Dress Shop on King Street is a must-read. You've been listening to the Historical Bookworm Show, where history meets fiction. For more information, find us at historicalbookworm.com.